The AHDB has come in for much criticism in recent years. Their new chief exec is determined to change things. We're about to embark on the largest consultative exercise we've ever done with levy payers. That's what we're calling Shape the Futures. And after much waiting, we finally have details of the lump sum exit scheme for farmers wanting to retire. It's basically for those who are looking to exit farming completely and they will be entitled to receive a single lump sum payment in 2022. Plus our usual livestock and grain market reports, the week's farming weather and Sean Sparling has some timely agronomy advice and considers some more big worries for farmers. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you've had a good, if wet and windy week. We've seen harrowing signs recently of huge numbers of birds and cattle being culled following the biggest ever UK outbreak of bird flu and continuing bovine TB. Some good news, though, with DEFRA announcing £200 million of funding to help aid the fight against these and other devastating livestock diseases. This investment will go to the Animal and Plant Health Agency's labs to enhance their research into diseases spread by animals. A subsidised blood testing scheme is now available for sheep producers to help identify possible reasons for early lamb losses. The Flock Check Diagnostic Scheme allows farmers to ask their vet to test their flock for exposure to toxoplasmosis and EAE, both significant causes of unwanted flock health issues. And Tractors Into Schools is just a week away and they could do with some more farmers to take part. There are schools in Lincolnshire who would love to see a tractor in the playground and hear all about how their food gets from the field to their plate. It's great fun, the kids love it and you'd be helping educate the next generation on farming. There's also plenty of help available from Lincolnshire Showground, the organisers, so if you're interested or want to know more, see their website or contact Rosie Crust on 01522 585521. Now, we've spoken before about the lump sum exit scheme for farmers wishing to retire, and now, at last, we have some details. Ella Redrup from Masons and Partners in Louth is with us to tell us more. Firstly, Ella, who's eligible? They are basic payment scheme claimants in England who have had a claim since 2018 or earlier. It's basically for those who are looking to exit farming completely, and they will be entitled to receive a single lump sum payment in 2022. It's really geared towards people that are looking to either sell up, gift the land to other members of the family, but not their spouse, lease the land or plant the land with trees. But it's basically giving up all your agricultural land, apart from you're allowed to to hang on to five hectares. Okay, and I guess the question on everybody's lips, how much? The requirements are that you have to basically surrender your entitlements and you'll be entitled based on your 2019, 2020 and 2021 BPS payments before those reductions were made in those years, 2.35 times the average value of those three reference years. There's a cap of £42,500. So that equates to a ceiling payment of just shy of £100,000. So It's not going to be the sole decision maker, I don't think, in people giving up farming, but hopefully it will encourage maybe those older generations of farmers who have got younger people in the farming business or in the family who are looking to kind of get going with farming. Hopefully we might just help make that decision a little bit easier for them. 
Anella, what's the tax situation for this money? They have confirmed that these payments will be treated as capital. They will be subject to capital gains tax, but not treated as an income. Okay, Ella, thank you for that. That's Ella Redrup from Masons and Partners at Laos, who are more than happy to offer their advice. George Dunn is the CEO of the Tenant Farmers Association. George, you and I have spoken about this in the past. Now we have the detail. What's the view of tenant farmers about the scheme? So, Steve, we surveyed our members a little while ago before the uh, details of the scheme were announced, and we were quite surprised that there was a great deal of interest from our members in looking at the possibility of taking up the scheme. Now that detail is out, we are having some very deep conversations with some of our members who are certainly looking at the possibility of taking up the scheme. So we have this ceiling payment of £100,000, which sounds a lot of money. It's not a fortune. It's not sufficient on its own, is it, to make the decision as to whether to retire or not? Uh, No, you're absolutely right, Steve. And and we also need to bear in mind that this isn't sort of money from the sky, as it were. This is money that would have been received under the basic payment scheme. So it's just been rolled up as a lump rather than having to wait over the next few years to, to, to bring it in. But you're absolutely right. On its own, it's not going to provide a sufficient sum of money for people to consider going into retirement. But as part of a portfolio of assets or income streams, it could be quite important. So for example, a tenant farmer may be able to negotiate a surrender deal with their landlord and the, and the landlord may be prepared to offer compensation for surrendering a tenancy early, particularly on the older style Agriculture Holdings Act tenancies where tenants are secure for a lifetime or even for three generations and getting the land back in hand is incredibly valuable to the landlord. They may have pension provision elsewhere. They may have value in their live and dead stock or end of tenancy improvements, etc. So as part of a portfolio, we think this could be a really big game changer. But obviously this still won't be for everybody, will it? Yeah, and to be fair, Steve, we have some people who've said it's not for us, but others are very seriously looking at it. And those who are seriously looking at it are those who are of a certain age, they haven't got successes coming through, they've already had some conversations with their landlord about potentially giving up the tenancy. The landlord has perhaps made some suggestions about a compensation payment for that, and our members are looking to add to that what they might get under the, the basic payment scheme, lump sum exit scheme. Thank you, George Dunn, CEO of the Tenant Farmers Association, and Ella Redrup, Chartered Surveyor and Valuer at Masons and Partners in Louth. Sean Sparling's here now with agronomy advice as usual, but first some concerns over glyphosate and not just the usual should we, shouldn't we, but where to get it. Morning, Sean. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Good morning, everybody. Bit of a blowy old windy lot at the end of this week, wasn't it? Which is the least of our worries, really, I suppose. But then again, it is February, so I'm neither surprised nor am I concerned about that. I think we've been let off quite lightly weather-wise so far this year anyway. So if we were going to get some wet and windy stuff, then when better to get it than in February? February Fildite before the main season starts. And at the very least, it's going to stop some people putting nitrogen onto some of those wheat crops out there that, to be quite honest, have far and away too many tillers so as to make losing a few far more desirable to me as an agronomist than actually preserving them or even encouraging more. Now, the reason I said it's the least of our worries because the big news this week, news which sent a shockwave across the UK, was the announcements from Dr Udo Schneider, who's the global head of active ingredient manufacturing at Bayer Ag, 
who notified us early in the week that they've now called force majeure on glyphosate and on glyphosate containing products to any of its UK customer distribution clients for about the next three months because of a mechanical failure at its manufacturing plant, which I believe is in the US. And that means a substantial reduction in glyphosate production. That also means that any ordered stocks which were due to come into UK, into UK distribution companies, will not now be coming. Now, that's a bit of a blow, to say the least, not just to the regenerative-focused operations, min-till, no-till, control traffic, etc., where glyphosate replaces cultivation, but also to conventional agriculture, where glyphosate replaces mechanical cultivation and gets us ready for the spring campaign without having to go out and ripping the soil about and releasing carbon, etc. But... If businesses haven't got stock of glyphosate, they are highly unlikely to get much for the very foreseeable future. Force majeure, of course, being where unforeseeable circumstances prevent somebody from fulfilling a legal contract. And they will have had legal contracts with distribution companies here in the UK and across Europe. So we as an industry have, of course, been struggling with shortages of glyphosate since about last June. And actually, we've been seeing the need to manage our other key agricultural inputs much more carefully for about 18 months. So uh, from about July last year, we were having to order our glyphosate earlier and earlier just to make sure we actually got our name on it so that we stood a chance of getting it rather than the previous status quo of ordering as we required and getting it within a couple of days. So we could see issues looming back in last July time. Every time you said the word glyphosate, in fact, back then the price seemed to go up another five quid. Now that back then was allegedly due to a manufacturing issue as well, although that issue was in China rather than in the US as far as I can remember. But the whole of our industry recognised this as a global issue, a production issue that was affecting the whole world. And we all thought it would more than likely have resolved itself by this spring, by now actually. But that is clearly now not the case. It's broader as well, by the way, than glyphosate. The whole agricultural supply situation is very, very complicated at the moment. Everything from spare parts for tractors and machinery to plant protection products, seeds, fertilisers. Now, whether that is as a result of clever supplier manoeuvring or Brexit or coincidence, I really don't know. What I do know is that I don't believe in coincidence. So, well, you know, you have to draw your own conclusion. What we do know about the glyphosate situation, as I said, is that the price where there is glyphosate just keeps going up and up and up. It's almost as if somebody's trying to see just how much people are prepared to pay. This time last year, for example, 20 litres of a 360 gram glyphosate product was about 45 quid. Today, you're doing very well to get that same 20 litres for much less than 150 quid. Now, surely that cannot be the future, can it? And I'm not sure that it's all down to supply issues as well. And I'm not specifically talking about glyphosate here, but also seeds, nitrogen fertilizers, compound fertilizers, straights, other ag chems, other inputs. Everything's off the scale in terms of what they cost now. 630 quid for imported ammonium nitrate today, as opposed to 230 this time last year. And that's just import. You know, it's more for UK product. And I think one of the problems here is that if growers need a product or a commodity to apply to their field, the suppliers see an all-time high of grain prices on those farms. 
and those suppliers know that those growers are grudgingly going to pay whatever they decide to charge. Of course, 30 years ago or so, when there were 30 or more agrochemical fertiliser and uh, commodity suppliers out there, there were always those suppliers in amongst that 30 who could keep the peace by lowering their prices and managing the market. But today, you know, we only have five or six really big commodity players, commodity trading players out there. So it is so clearly a seller's market and there just isn't the spread of competition out there to be able to offset and hold back these prices. So as far as glyphosate goes, of course, Bayer are not the only manufacturers of that product, but the other manufacturers are also facing similar issues and for similar reasons. And I think that if any good can come out of this, it may just concentrate the minds of the public and also the farmers on how vital glyphosate is for UK crop production because without it you can forget min-till, no-till, regenerative agriculture, non-inversion, nature-friendly, soil-friendly farming practices that are employed in UK agriculture across the board today. So growers are certainly going to have to manage what stock of glyphosate they have much more carefully this spring and that is where good advice comes in. Anyway, leaving glyphosate aside, let's move on to agronomy. All seed rape, the pigeons are loving it. They found it. Disease levels, very little difference to where it was last year. Winter wheat and winter barley. The winter barleys are going as gold as a guinea in many places, but, you know, let it. My grandfather always used to say, and we've all witnessed it, barley will always do well if it goes this horrible yellow colour in February. And winter wheat as well. You know, some of these crops are so big and well tillered they could do with just leaving alone for a little while. Soil temperatures struggling to get much above six degrees C at best. So in many cases, probably too cold for nitrogen and top dressing on these crops anyway, just to make sure that you're not wasting it because it's an incredibly expensive plant food, particularly this year. So no hurry. We're still in the middle of February. Winter beans looking good, but nothing to do there really for a week or two. And managing your spring inputs by just being prepared and making some plans, speaking to your supplier is probably the best way to spend your time rather than sat on a tractor top dressing. So for me, top dressing oilseed rape is about as far as I'm prepared to recommend at the moment. Mind you, there's only a right and a wrong when it comes to anything. And as my old boss, Michael Godson, used to say, you're a poor fella if you can't hit one of those. So we watch the supply situation with baiting breath please do what you want weather it is february so bring it on if you must and let's see what the next seven days bring thank you as ever sean sparling sparling agronomy services the ahdb came in for much criticism last year especially within the potato and horticulture sectors many of whom voted with their feet tim rycroft became the chief exec last autumn and wants to reshape the levy board's future he joins us on the programme this morning. Tim, before we look at the future, why do you think so many levy payers felt the way they did? Well, I think you've got to, uh, first of all, admit that we fell out of touch with our levy payers and we just weren't as close to how they were feeling about things as we needed to be. And I've spoken to a lot of people and there are a lot of views about what the direct and indirect drivers of those ballots were. I, I think for my purposes, the important thing is just to say that we allowed ourselves to get in the position where they felt sufficiently strongly about that, that they voted to end the levy in those sectors. So for me, the big learning from that is how do we ensure that that can never happen again? Because it was quite a significant step to take, wasn't it, to say to a, a levy board, we don't like what you're doing, we're going to leave. So what are you proposing now in terms of the uh, Shape the Future campaign? What are you doing? 
We're about to embark on the largest consultative exercise we've ever done with levy payers. That's what we're calling Shape the Future. So at the moment, we're asking levy payers to register to vote. And then in April, they get the chance to vote. And they will, for the first time, be able to tell us what are the big issues in their sectors that we should be focused on? What are the products or services that we provide that they rate that they would like to see their levy money spent on? It's a very significant change for us. In some ways, it's a bit surprising for me coming into the organisation that we haven't ever consulted with levy payers on this scale before. It's clearly a, a response to some extent to the ballots in potatoes and horticulture, but it's also about embarking on a new direction for the organisation. And, you know, I talk um, quite a lot about putting levy payers at the heart of everything we do, which unfortunately can sound a bit like a sort of corporate slogan. But that is the plan. And I don't think the organisation can plan for the brighter future that I'm here to try and deliver unless we make that reality. What kind of things are you going to be asking people? There are three kind of central questions and they'll be slightly different for each of the sectors because they'll be sector specific. So in each sector, they'll be asked, what are the big issues that uh, you think we should be focused on that you are worried about or you think are opportunities for your sector? There'll be some commonalities, I expect. So I'll work on exports, I'll work on industry reputation. In cereals and oilseeds, it might be around pest management. In livestock, it might be around genetics. And we will suggest a list of the things we do that we think are the ones that they will have top of mind. But they'll also have the opportunity to write in anything that they think we've missed. And then the second question, which I guess is kind of the meat of the consultation, is of the products, tools and services that AHDB currently funds from levy money, which are the ones that you rate most highly? And they'll get a chance on a scale of one to five to tell us about how they rate, say, for example, recommended list or uh, integrated pest management or exports. And in that way, they'll be able to tell us the things that they care most about and also the ones that are less important to them. And that's the way that we intend to make the levy payers voice incredibly powerful within the organisation. And who is eligible to take part in this? Is it everybody who's a registered levy payer? Anyone who pays the levy uh, will be able to cast a vote. And once all this information's been received, once you've had the votes, you've discussed it, what's going to happen in terms of AHDB's strategy and future? For us, this consultative exercise is about both getting levy payers back to the heart of our organisation, but it's also about drawing a line under two very difficult years. And by reconnecting and earning back the trust of levy payers, that enables us then to plan for a brighter future for AHDB, in which we're out there doing more for levy payers, in which we're making more of a difference, and they can really see that their levy is being spent in ways that they support. And that's the motivating thing, I think, for our organisation, is the opportunity to say the events of the past are now behind us. We're really focused on delivering for levy payers, and we want to do more of that. And finally, how does one take part in this and what's the timescale for getting the information to you? So the registration process, which I ought to just explain why we need people to register. Uh, we know who most of our levy payers are, but we don't know who all of them are, because in many cases, the levy is actually collected at the processor levy and aggregated and then passed on to us. So we're asking people to register. The registration period lasts until the 31st of March. And you just go to our website, ahdb.org.uk, and you'll see on our front page, Shape the Future, and you can click on that, and that will take you through to the registration portal, the matter of minutes to register your interest. And once you're registered, we'll be in touch then as we open the voting, which will be in April, to ensure that you get your chance to have yourself. Looks like a brighter future for the AHDB. Tim Rycroft, CEO, many thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Steve.
Time for our weekly market reports, starting with livestock from Louth Livestock Market. Good morning, Oliver Chapman. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth on Monday, the 14th of February. Starting with the prime cattle, which see numbers tighten and an inevitable lift in trade. Prime heifers top at 245 pence per kilo and gross £1,393 for JS Brooks of Strubby. While steers top at 230 pence per kilo and gross £1,342 from the same good home. Moving to the sheep and an increased number of hogs to start with, which is an SQQ of 265.39 pence per kilo, with a pounds per head top for GB Housing of Stickford at £130, with a pence per kilo top for Ben and Pippa Williams of Alford at 286 pence per kilo. On to the cool use. Similar number forward, however a slightly more mixed show of views on offer. See a top for Ben and Pippa Williams of £133 to leave an all-in average of £80.63. Finally, the store lambs and breeding sheep. See a trio of in-lamb clean use top at £125 for J. Chevins of Sutton Gun Beckingham. While the store lambs topped at £102 for R.G. Stones and Sons of Theddlethorpe to leave an all-in average of £66.89. Huge thank you to all vendors and buyers that have supported this week. Both prime and cool cattle and sheep are required for weekly markets. Please do not hesitate to contact me to discuss marketing options. Also, please be reminded that Monday the 21st, so tomorrow, is store cattle week with already 40 plus store cattle entered from across the county. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market. And thank you. And to the grain markets, good morning, Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Good morning, Steve. Weak market direction and sentiment is dependent on the latest news headlines surrounding the will they or won't they invade Russia-Ukraine conflict. For all our sakes, let's hope that they can find a peaceful solution. But for now, the Russian president has the world's attention, with the world's leaders beating a path into his door as he seeks assurances that Ukraine will not join NATO. Mortify in disputed Bonbass region is the latest report, but there is so much disinformation it is impossible to know what to believe. In the event of conflict, the fear that exports of wheat and maize from the Black Sea region would be disrupted and the supply would need to be sourced from elsewhere. Marine insurers have also added that Russia and Ukraine to their high-risk list, which will only exacerbate the shipping problem. Analysts and government agencies continue to call for lower crop prices in Brazil, Argentina and Paraguay, which the USDA will need to address in the future reports. Argentina continues very dry with little in the way of relief in the forecast, whilst southern Brazil and Paraguay remain totally dry with La Nina forecast in May-June time. This is now getting a concern for the US. The US hard red winter wheat belt remains in a dry condition with temperatures falling and with very little snow cover, raising winter kill fears. The UK wheat market is reactive to daily direction on Matif and Seabot futures markets as they seek to price themselves into fresh export business. UK cash premiums over futures into domestic feed consumer homes are firm, exhibiting a potentially tight old crop UK supply and demand. Consumers continue their policy of buying hand-to-mouth, but they run the risk that the weather and or politics have the potential to take the market higher. Looking forward to barley then this week. It is too dry in many parts of the world, but rain this week in the south has helped and meant that spring barley plantings have carried on. New crop prices have remained static despite old crop prices falling further. Ok Novdek extra farm values are 205 to 210 with forward carries. Those farmers closer to domestic maltings can make 10 to 15 pounds more. 
Some farmers are now selling a percentage forward of what has been planted so far. With a normal spring planting, it is expected that the current old crop inverse to premium to the new crop will gradually erode completely between now and harvest. Looking at all seed rape, at the beginning of the week the markets were wide apart on old crop, which meant that the trade would only happen if the prices became better further forward and new crop prices were lower without any trade or sellers. By midweek there seemed to be a bit more demand around the old crop, but higher prices were needed to tempt out reluctant sellers who were holding out for 600x the farm. Wednesday saw demand supported by higher Chicago prices and crude oil saw prices bounce and Matif OSR close just above the 700 euros for the first time in over a week. The increase has maintained the overall upward trend that began back in early 2021. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for February 215 to 220, May 220 to 229, July 225 to 232. Forward to November new crop 190 to 200. Milling weight premiums are circa 30 to 35 pounds. Feed barley for February 190 to 200, May 203 to 213, November 170 to 180. Malting barley premiums are currently unavailable due to a lack of buyers. Oil seed rate February 585 to 590, May 590 to 597. Looking forward to July new crop 490 to 500 and November 505 to 510. Many thanks, Kit and Oliver. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Mild, wet and windy today, gusty westerly winds and some heavy rain, highs of 10 Celsius. Monday sees strong westerly winds again, gusting up to 60 miles per hour, some rain but cooler with a high of 7. The wind continues brisk and southwesterly through midweek. Some light rain, highs of 11 on Tuesday, 3 or 4 degrees cooler on Wednesday. The winds stay much the same for the rest of the week, but less rain and daytime temperatures around 6 to 8 Celsius. I'm Steve Orchard. Can't believe this has been my 100th farming programme. Where's those two years gone? And what an interesting and challenging two years it's been for so many reasons. Anyway, thanks for being there over the last 100. Here's to the next 100 and beyond. Until next week's farming programme, have a good week.